Welcome to The Listen, hosted by me, Abby Gibson, and me, Charlie Perry. Every week, we share our observations and over-analysis from pop culture, current affairs, and our own lives. It's the podcast for those of us who have big feelings about the things that matter, and even bigger feelings about the things that don't. Oh, Abby, it's the end of the year. We did it. (gasps) I'm hanging on by my nails to the edge of this year. No, don't do Um, that. You've just got them done. (laughs) <laughs> no, honestly, I know one of them's chipped sadly as well, but oh, oh well, sake. they're sparkly and Christmassy and New Yeary. So that is very apt for the fact that we are going to be wrapping up our favourites from 2023 in review. Yes, I'm so excited. We're going to be um, covering our favourite film, book, TV show, podcast, pop culture moment. Yeah. And also I will be telling the story of when I went to an incredibly famous person's house <laughs> and... Uh, had a very embarrassing yet iconic moment and I I truly I don't know whether I'm excited or nervous to recount that entire situation but we'll get there we'll get there we're going in it's a long ep buckle up guys get a brew (laughs) shall we kick off uh best film yes let's I could sound more excited (laughs) (laughs) no you sound the normal level of excited (laughs) okay so my favorite film of 2023 was actually it was a late entry it was a film that I only saw a few weeks ago and it is called Bottoms <laughs> oh hello um, so, and I actually feel like a lot of people didn't catch this film no and I really implore you to so Bottoms is a well the tagline is two unpopular queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation <laughs> And, great plot <laughs> yes and do you know what it's like when I was trying to like tell um, my husband that like, I wanted to go see this he was like what it was about and I was like it's gay fight club because that's like <laughs> a lot of like how it was um marketed and he was like okay sure so bottoms was um directed by Emma Seligman um she wrote it alongside Rachel Sennett Rachel also starred in the film alongside the incredible Iowa Debris who is in the bear she's Sid in the bear she's oh. everywhere at the minute I love her. What is so brilliant about this film is how fucking weird it is. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds pretty niche, to be honest. (laughs) It's like, it's basically like set in this weird, timeless high school, but it's kind of naughty's vibes. Um, But it's very american movie high school but it's very self-aware in that so like for example all of like the football players are in their football uniform literally all of the time they never take it off (laughs) um it's like the first scene in the school the class lasted obviously about two minutes and then the bell rang and then ao's character was like wait is that it like we've only been here like five minutes (laughs) so it really commented all of that and so it's really weird it's so so funny um but ultimately and when I when I came out of that I was like this film is female empowerment and I know 2023 has very much been the year of female empowerment a la like Barbie and things like that but for me I think Bottoms actually kind of trumped it it, in the way it like Barbie in the way it explored like female friendships because it was it felt so empowering the way that this like misfit ragtag group came together to start a fight club it's so random so it was two gay guys and it explored no girls, female friendship girls. oh sorry i missed that whole point i was thinking that's a really interesting way to go around the no. storyline <laughs> no so it's rachel and a who are like the main um sorry queer characters and they basically yeah they have crushes on cheerleaders and that's the way that they think they're gonna have sex with them oh okay interesting now you know what i've not heard anything about that film was it like in box offices or was it Netflix? Or? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was in cinemas, but I think it was one of those that just got massively overlooked, maybe by the UK market. But I'm also really surprised about that because of like AO's star power and like what a rising star she is. I think people are really drawn to the stuff that she's in um, because it was even like they weren't showing it in Odeon cinemas. So we had to go to a Cineworld, which I don't prefer to do. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's part of it, isn't it? Though, like, the, I'm not a film critic at all, and I, to be honest, I am the kind of person that will take like a rotten tomatoes over an IMDb any day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll take that a bit more seriously as a general consumer. But the the thing with um, when it's slightly more niche films, not saying that this is niche, but it's almost like that's been treated in a way that it's like not mass market mm-hmm. when it's not being put in all of the cinemas. So. Yeah, I've not, to be honest, I didn't know about um, AO until The Bear and obviously it's me. So I'm completely behind and I've only seen season one. Um, but I, did, I didn't know her from anything else. She's, that's the first time I've seen her. So maybe that even though she, what she does is incredible, she's just not that kind of household name just yet. Not, but that's the thing, not yet. And I yeah, think we're, she definitely will be. Yeah, and me and Dan came out of this film basically like that's going to be like a cult film that in like yeah. five, 10 years, anyone who grew up in the noughties is going to absolutely love that. If you're queer, you're gonna love it. If, like, if you love taking the mick out of like high school American movies, it just has, it truly has it all. And like, I really want, I really want you to watch it, Charlie, because I genuinely think you'd yeah. enjoy it. It's so yeah. funny. I will, I will, I know. It's, um, it, I, I think with me, I, love going to the cinema and actually there's a I've had a lot going on this year anyway and I think it's one of those things that's kind of slid down the list for me Mm. and I've seen like the core films which like obviously it was a year of like Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, um, Barbie like I think there was it was Barbenheimer weekend right like that was the two films (laughs) Um, and I've seen them but I've not really kind of explored going to the cinema to see something that I'm actually not too fussed about because I am definitely of the camp of I if it's in the cinema and somebody wants to go and see it, I'll just go along with it. Yeah. Well, you've kind of teased it there, but Charlie, yeah. do you want to get into your favorite film of the year? Yeah, and and I think I don't like using the word bait, but it is bait. I had to choose Barbie for this. I had to. I just it made me feel things. Like yeah. I think the films that I've out of the, the three most memorable that I've seen are Oppenheimer, like I said, Barbie and Killers of the Flower Moon. And Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon like taught me something. But Barbie just like completely mesmerized me. It was magical. Like I just had this feeling of like, heard the Barbie films coming out. I was like, yeah, fuck that. Fuck Barbie. Don't like Barbie, whatever. And then was very much like, oh, everybody's saying this about it. Like as a female business owner with a female team and like people like that I respect to talking about it I have to go and see it so I went with my best friend and we were very much just like oh we don't really know what to expect and I had read nothing about the film I'm the kind of person that goes into a film without reading anything about it I just kind of see the hype think again look at the recommendations of people that I respect and then I'll go and see it and I think the thing with with Barbie was that it was it felt very Somebody gave it a review, um, a friend, it wasn't like a public person, a friend of a friend had said that it was like really shoehorning messages in and I just Mm. didn't get that vibe at all and I thought it would. Um, And it felt a little bit obvious and I think for her it did, it it didn't for me, but I think sometimes when you're watching TV shows or adverts or something, it doesn't want to feel like any form of box ticking exercise. And I didn't get that with Barbie and I do with some things and I don't know what it is that causes that. And I want to make sure that it's like all encompassing across the board. And I think Barbie did a really good job of it. I I loved Barbie. I really enjoyed it. It really moved me. It was also just a really, really fun film. I think there was a lot of debate about it because when anything is like hyper feminine, a lot of people have got things to say about it, um, Mm. which is a whole other conversation in itself. But then I think what people just need to remember is that this wasn't supposed to be like a life-changing feminist film. For a young girl, that was their entry point to feminism. So obviously it was explained in like a very simple way. And maybe for a lot of people who went to watch it, yeah, you didn't learn anything new, but imagine Mm. all of the young girls who that's their entry point through media into female empowerment and feminism and understanding a a kind of the patriarchy, not quite, but you know. And it's also like, it doesn't have to be that deep. I loved it because it was just like so nice to just live in girl world for like a couple hours. And it was just fun. Why can't it just be fun? I thought that. 
Yeah, and I and I do think that there's the the only thing that I can imagine that I can kind of give like a bit of time to the argument of it was like as a feminist film. I, I saw it twice in cinema. So I went with my friend and then I took my boyfriend. And I, to be honest, I didn't wear pinky at the time. And he was like, oh, I'll put this like, he's got a pale pink shirt thing. And he was like, oh, I'll just wear this. I was like, okay, cool. You enjoy being Barbie for a minute. <laughs> but he enjoyed the storyline. Like yeah. it wasn't like the most groundbreaking film for him. But I think it felt relatable in a lot of ways to women that it, obviously men or I assume obviously men wouldn't feel, but I do think that it was generally an enjoyable film across the board. However, I think one thing I'm always really conscious of when consuming content that is more of a feminist angle or more of a feminist storyline that I really don't like to get into stereotypes of feminism. And yeah. I do think that with there was like the piece that was done by, bear with me one sec, who was, what's the ugly Betty actress called? Amer America Ferrera. America Ferrera. There was a like a monologue from America Ferreira, which was incredibly powerful and incredibly hard hitting and made me cry. But I do worry that as a, if a young girl saw that and started to understand that as feminism, that's just her one track of it. And, and I'm not saying that what America was saying wasn't or her character was saying wasn't factual or it wasn't true or it wasn't an experience that women feel. But I do worry that it does if we keep if we keep doing this narrative we're not allowing space for change to actually come from men and we can't expect men to understand obviously this is explaining things to them but we can't expect them to make changes if we're constantly like up against them being like you know you do this you do that and if we're not i i worry that a young woman might take that narrative and start preaching it without truly knowing like what it feels like to be in that space as it's not their experience yeah that's always the fear. That's totally always the fear. And I don't, but then this is the thing is that I think that because of things that are focused towards women are so overly criticized. Yeah. Even in the way we're talking about it now is like, we don't like, who's to say anything other than like, just enjoying the film comes off the back of this. Barbie wasn't trying to make change. It was just trying to make a fun film Greta mm -hmm. Gerwig had the best time of her life, it seemed, from all the behind-the-scenes footage. Mm -hmm. And I think it'll be a really fun film to, like, re-watch, show our totally. kids, and look back on, like, that's how you do a IP piece of media. Yes. And you know what? That I... I touching upon the production side of it, I got really into it. Mm. Like, what I just said about the feminist side of it, I I personally loved it. Mm. Like I really loved it, and I'm and I was saying that thinking about like a young person. But I I think I really get into like the interest of production in general. I think it comes with what we do. It comes with being the founder of a production company. And I really like deep dive to the point where I was finding on Instagram like um, some of like the runners or like the people that were working on the on the production yeah. but weren't like the core like showrunners or you know like executive producer or anything and I found it was so interesting watching the people that were involved with the film because a lot of it was all of the pink studio um scenes were filmed in the UK at the Warner Brothers yeah, studio in London, Leeston yeah 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 so half of the the majority of the film was actually shot in the UK yeah. which I loved because I really feel like I think a film like this, especially where this film shot in LA, can so easily that that production and that production money can go into Hollywood yeah. time and time and time again. And I just loved that it was shot in the UK. And I think a lot of that is because obviously it was produced by Margot Robbie's production company, Lucky Chap Entertainment. She founded that with um, Tom Ackley, her husband, Josie McNamara and Sophia Kerr in 2014. And they acquired the rights, the, the IP rights to Barbie years and years and years mm. ago. And Margot was openly said, like, I didn't want to cast myself as it, but then it kind of came to light with who she was talking to. And then obviously Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. And um, it just... I really love that. I think that Lucky Chap had Tom Ackley is British, Margot Robbie's husband. And I think that really enabled the UK to be way more heavily involved in the production side of things. Because like I said, I think we watch these shiny floor films and 
we think that it's all going to be done in LA and the majority of them are. And I just really liked that yeah. the UK had a, a big play in that, which I didn't realize until after. There were so many UK actors in it as well, which then yeah. made sense of like, of course, it was like local. Yeah, and the entire sex education cast. I loved it. They were the best bit. <laughs> so did I. I was so happy to see Emma Mackey and Margot Robbie in the same film because obviously when Emma Mackey kind of broke onto the scene with sex education, it yeah. was like, oh my God, she looks like Margot Robbie. And you like, know what's so funny? They look nothing alike in the film. They said that yeah. she, Margot said that she cast Emma, like as in like, oh, maybe we could do like a funny joke about us looking alike. And then when Emma got in her wig and stuff, they were like, oh, we don't look anything alike with you like brunette and me blonde. But yeah. it was nice to see it. There. It was like, yeah. like a nice nod to everyone, like yeah, who had to like seen <laughs> that and thought that exactly. No, I loved it, and so yeah, I'm sorry that I couldn't have in depth um, conversation on Oppenheimer or Killers of the Flower Moon again. I have already spoke about it, but yeah, that that film has broke records. It set an incredible precedent for how um, women in the film industry need to be perceived, and yeah, it's um, I loved it. It made me feel something, and it made me incredibly incredibly proud of just women in general and being able to have work and build a team in a female space like yeah, it's totally. very feels very kind of homely for me nice okay so we were doing a roundup for 2023 and then spent about 40 minutes talking about um our favorite <laughs> films so for the rest of the episode um we're gonna go a bit quicker because but to be fair you are here because we like to overanalyze <laughs> yeah exactly you're getting what you asked yeah. for <laughs> okay so um charlie best book best book is a non-fiction for me i really was trying to think about fiction for uh, fiction books but it's ultra processed people why we all eat stuff that isn't food and why we can't stop by mm. dr chris van tulliken um it was released in april this year and it's basically just um assessing the food industry in the UK and across the world from a very kind of sociological, political, um, environmental point of view. And it sounds, that sounds incredibly boring, but it's <laughs> changed the way I think about food. And I urge you, honestly, if you are, so just for background, I eat meat, I eat fish, I eat everything I have no allergies so I'm coming from a very like no limitations you know yeah, yeah. privileged place <laughs> with my diet <laughs> um so obviously what I'm saying is is relevant to me only you're a vegetarian Abby aren't you I'm indeed and I think the thing that really struck a chord with me was just I've always been quite interested in nutritional uh content anyway I, I quite enjoy cooking for example and that's a part of it um but if you eat a lot of replacement foods or you eat protein shakes protein bars replacement meats um you drink fizzy drinks low fat anything low sugar anything it's really I, I truly urge you for the sake of your health and your children's health and your family's health to just kind of read up on it because it's a very easy read uh, Chris Van Tullican is you'd probably recognize him or his identical twin um, because they do a lot of like science tv presenting and the way that he explains things just makes sense like it's it's actually better from a processed food point of view to drink a full fat coke than it is to have a diet coke because mm, of the chemicals that you put in mm. and I think a lot of the time we don't care to even look at the ingredients because it's convenient or you need to eat something like you have to consume calories for energy. And I think it will help you to, even if you're not going to make any changes to your diet and you can't make changes to your diet because of either where you live or the amount of money that you'd be able to spend on food, um, you are able to make way more informed choices. And it's even just looking at things like Coca-Cola and how they fund studies that back their own narrative that basically kind of disprove the naysayers, which are people saying it's unhealthy. They're like, no, it's not. And then they go and plow two million pounds into sponsoring the Olympics because <laughs> then we're getting people to play sport because it's inspirational yeah. and they're the brand that put it there. So it's just stuff like that that is, it, it's um, an incredible read. I highly recommend it. And the last thing I just want to say on it is that if you broke down a lot of the food that we eat, you can very easily be eating like a, a flavorless gel or sludge mm. and, and we don't know it. And it's, and it's, we just need to know it because I'm not going to sit here and say, I've not eaten ultra processed food since I've read the book, 
but I've most definitely been more aware and have cut down. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I urge everybody to read it. Even if you think you've got a healthy diet or you need to change something, um, processed food is a, it's, it's damaging the world on more than just a personal basis. It's so bad for the environment. I was going to say, I'm definitely interested in like the socio-economical and like environmental impacts yeah. of all of this. And there's so many people out there talking about it right now. I can't do mm. nonfiction books anymore, but I know that yeah. there's loads of podcasts and stuff. And um, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to get into it in a way that I want to digest. Yeah. No, well, that's it. That was a also pun, a podcast. Charlie. There was a pun. Oh. <laughs> God's sake, I'm wasted. Sorry, on I was you. getting excited. I was getting excited because there is a podcast that is really good about it. And and I will say that it's damaging culture. Like yeah, the sure. way South America has been impacted by ultra processed food is terrifying. Right. So anyway, well, what was your favorite book? It was nothing like that. <laughs> um, my favorite book was um Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, written by Gabrielle Zevin. Um, this was recommended to me by my friend who works in publishing, and I would recommend that everyone has a friend in publishing because every book <laughs> she recommends to me is a hit. And I would say, like, this is my favorite one of my favorite ever books now, like full stop, let alone this year. Really? Oh my god, it just it hit so many things that I didn't know that I wanted. So obviously yeah, it's a, a novel. It's a story about two friends and it follows them through childhood across like decades long of their friendship. And basically the way they came together is that they both loved video games and it starts off in the 90s and then they end up like building their own like video game together. And the thing is, it's not, a, it's not a romance. And I think a lot of people ah. might assume this going in. It's not a romance whatsoever. Um, in a way, I don't think you're ever rooting for these two to get together. You're just following like both of their stories and they're both such like amazing characters in the way that they're like, can be really unlikable, but you're really rooting for them and their lives go off in ways that you don't want it to go off. But then also the element of like the video games is so well written. Gabrielle Zevin is such a good writer and it's even to the point where so many people have said, I obviously, I really do enjoy video games, but you can enjoy this book if you've never played a game in your life. Oh, great. Honestly, everyone says that like, don't let that put you off. It's obviously a thread throughout, but the way it describes the games, it's obviously obviously so relevant to like, to the story that's happening. And mm -hmm. it's so, it's, it's just so it's just so good and I the book made me cry and I was so mad and I was like texting my friend Lucy being like why have you recommended me this and she was like <laughs> oh you got to this bit did you um yeah. it's just so unique and I think that I've I've got really back into reading this year so and because I I really only want to read books that I'm really really enjoying mm -hmm. and it can be hard to find something that isn't just like an enemies to lover <laughs> relationship yeah. and stuff like it's so unique and I would give anything to read this book for the first time again what's the elevator pitch of it like what's the character the names yeah like the blurb the okay so it is the story of Sadie and Sam it's not a romance but it is about love when Sam catches sight of Sadie at a crowded train station one morning he is catapulted straight back to childhood and the hours they spent immersed in playing games their spark is instantly reignited and sets off a creative collaboration that will make them superstars it is the 90s and anything is possible what comes next is a decades-long tale of friendship and rivalry fame and art betrayal and tragedy perfect worlds and imperfect ones and above all our need to connect to be loved and to love gorgeous that's just reminded me of a um <laughs> a tweet that i saw not x <laughs> a tweet that i <laughs> that i saw um earlier in this year and and it was a tweet by a man called John Pennyman. And he said, I will never, ever recover from this student email. And then there's an email um, screenshot attached to it. And it says, good afternoon, Professor Pennyman. Hope you had a great break. I was wondering if it would be acceptable to use sources from the late 1900s for our final paper. I saw this. I, I found an interesting paper from 1994. Is there a cutoff date of publication? <laughs> See you tomorrow. That was the year I was born. And I, was like, I was born in 93 and I was like, oh my God. And it took me a few reads because my boyfriend showed me it and I was like, I don't get it. And he was like, it'll take you a second, but you'll get it. And yeah. I was like, Fuck, we were born in the late 1900s. What a bastard that child is. <laughs> anyway, um, I will definitely read that book. And Abby, 
Uh, we are in planning of creating a little mini-sode for everybody to do our thoughts and reviews on The List, which is a book by Yomi Adagoki that came out this year. Yes. Um, we both, I've just finished it. You're About going to finish it through. imminently. Oh my God. It, as soon as possible. Yeah. So much to talk about. And we're very aware of the fact that we want to talk about books and we want to talk about films and, and things that we think you would really enjoy, but we don't want to give spoilers in main episodes, yeah. nor do we want to take away from the main episodes to speak about one thing that you might not consume. So there will be a mini so dropping very soon, which is like a bit of a book club type thing for the list. Favorite TV show. Right. So this this is hot. It was a tough bloody year. So much yeah. good TV this year. You know what? I'm coming from the flip side. This was a tough year because I barely watched any TV. And all I could think about was what I've watched in the last month. So <laughs> sorry that my recommendations are seasons out of date and um, also relatively niche in that I missed the Crown series. I missed the latest series of Sex Education and by the sounds of it everything else great oh my god the beckhams yeah you missed that too and and the vardy trial <laughs> oh my god anyway you go first you've got more to right say than well me. yeah like i said um i want to give some honorable mentions to uh the final season of succession which was obviously incredible oh the bear season two Mm-hmm. And then also The Last of Us, which took my heart out, crushed it, put it back in, and then did it again and again for like nine <laughs> weeks on end. It was hard. However, I chose my favorite TV show of 2023 is The White Lotus season two. Stunning. I will say I preferred yeah. season one, but it was fucking great. It was so good. Do you know what? When I was writing my notes, I was like, I actually think I preferred season two. I love season one. Mm. But the reason I, I know the reason I chose White Lotus for this year as well is that when I thought back to how I felt during this time of like watching this show, I just remember like every single Monday night being so excited to be transported to Sicily and watching all of that in that hotel. I also thought it was a lot funnier than the first season. It had a lot more like comedic beats in it. And I felt like I was more engaged with every single storyline. Fair enough. And maybe it's because like, I feel like they made the characters a bit more ambiguous and I think it wasn't quite obvious like what side of good and evil everyone was on. Yeah, that's interesting because I actually have just realized I think I know why I don't enjoy why I didn't enjoy season two as much as I did season one because my mom told me after I'd watched the first episode who the body was. Oh, for God's sake. And I was like, mom, what the hell? And she was like, well, I've not told you anything there. And I was like, you've just told me exactly who it oh is my God, there's only one person so that annoying. fits the description of what you've just said and I was like she was like no I haven't and then at the end of it I was like come here and watch the last episode <laughs> Come because I was watching it at home and I was like there is absolutely no way that I can see anything other than a leg the bottom yeah. of a leg so no there was yeah. no that was the whole point oh I'm so sorry that's so frustrating yeah. and that does obviously take it away Um, But then also what I was thinking of like, again, when I was like thinking back to watching the show is that it is such a testament to how being able to binge stuff actually ruins the viewing experience because you watch it in like a block. And if you if you're not there on the first few days, you miss all the good memes and then it's done. Whereas what HBO do so well is that they stick to their guns for like event television and they're like, and they harbor such a bigger, just atmosphere. Mm. And I wish more shows would do that. Cause if you remember like Squid Game, oh, Squid Game was released as a binge. Imagine if Squid Game had been released weekly. Honestly. I think more shows should commit to the week on week release and stop pandering to the binge people. Yeah, I have to say, I completely agree. It makes me feel like a kid again, you know, in the yeah. 90s when we were able to watch something and had to tune in every day or every week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. The next one. Mine is the opposite and I binged, but it was three episodes (laughs) and my um, TV series is very different to yours. Um, I've noticed that a lot of my like stuff is quite dull. Like I've given you a (laughs) non-fiction, I've given you a non-fiction book. I've given you a film that everyone's talking about. And now I'm going to give you a TV show that is a BBC documentary spread (laughs) over three parts about. Oh, don't set yourself up like that. No, I just, I think. I think I'm really interested in quite journalistic things. Yeah, and I that's think okay. um, this 
show. I didn't expect to be as good as it was. Um, but you know, like the Met on the BBC, it's kind of like covers a few like crime stories or one crime story per episode or whatever. This series is called The Detectives. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a three part documentary series which follows um, the Greater Manchester Police detectives kind of unraveling um, or trying to break down an organized crime group. Mm. And it was, it wasn't something that I would have gone out of my way to watch personally, but it was something that my boyfriend was really keen to watch and I kind of joined in. I used to live in Manchester um, for six years. Abby, you still live nearby Manchester. And now I live in London. I think one thing that I have a really good understanding of how the culture is so different, yet I can kind of see it from, I feel like I can see things from a, a really kind of UK wide point of view in terms of understanding what it's like up north and understanding what it's like down here. But this, sometimes I think Manchester with the crime and there's different types of crime I think that are more prominent in certain areas but one thing that I really just didn't realize was quite how deeply ingrained an organized crime unit is within the community of Greater Manchester so essentially it's a um it's a group that it was like one crime that happened um, it was an attack on a member of the public that then sent the entire thing into a spin and then we suddenly realized very quickly that there were children that were getting pulled into it that were selling drugs wow. um, so was it how was it like a retrospective documentary so they were like recounting what had happened yes made over right. two years the whole documentary has been made over two years and it's just wow. went live this year and it's it was just three one-hour episodes and it was heartbreaking absolutely devastating and I, I could honestly cry thinking about it wow. um it was it was horrific it's interesting because like organized crime I think has like come to a bit more of like the forefront of people's interest through like line of duty because obviously yeah. that's like the whole like organized crime bent coppers all of that stuff but you don't ever think about what it is in practice no and it's um it's probably not nice to think about really no. is it and I, I don't think people understand that. I think there's a big drug culture in the UK. And I think people generally, the, the members of the public, just think of it as, oh, we're going on a night out. Let's buy in or whatever. Mm. And it's it's so much more than that. And I think I've done quite a lot of my own personal like interest research in the space in that when I traveled, I went to Colombia, did a lot of the kind of cartel tours there and how it's impacted the culture, how it impacts the world. And you think just going on a night out and doing a bit of coke is like a free fun thing to do. It's not, it's, it's absolutely yeah. damaging to so much more than just you and your body when you're taking those drugs. And it's really that the whole story encompasses line of duty problems. It encompasses mm. societal problems. It encompasses poverty in the UK and it's, the best, best, best TV show I've seen in a very long time. Amazing. I love that because, yeah, you're so right. Is that like, it just made me think of, you know, Orange is the New Black, mm. the memoir that that's based off. If from an American um, female perspective, that goes through the same thing because obviously Piper was... Um, arrested and had to go to prison for just carrying a bag of drug money and mm. she was like well what was the harm in that and then from being in prison and serving that time it basically yeah it's way more than you're not just carrying drug money you no. are impacting so many lives yeah. for the worse unfortunately yeah it's it's it, i really don't think people understand the depth of like things per, the way that personal choices impact wider society and, and the mm. world Right, best podcast. Okay, Charlie? who's going? Okay, I'll go you first. Go. Very quick, a podcast that I have, has been around for a little while now, but I've only really started listening this year and it's the news agents. And I'm sorry to be the person again. That's <laughs> Boring. Coming from, I know, from a journalistic <laughs> point of view, but you know why? I had to say it because they, the way that it's so refreshing that the, the Emily Maitlis, John Sopel and Lewis Goodall report on what's happening in the world is fucking brilliant and the reason why the the one time I'd listen to it I listen I listen to it very frequently and they report on kind of what's happening in the news what's coming up in terms of like elections in the UK the US whatever um 
But obviously, when you're listening to a journalist reporting on behalf of the BBC, the Times, the Guardian, mm. whoever it is, they have a very specific political agenda, and they're very careful about what they say. And in and the reason when I and the moment I realised I really love this podcast was that Emily Maitlis just called a, polit- a politician and like stupid. She was like, "He's an idiot. He's stupid." And I was like. <laughs> It's so refreshing. Yeah, I was like, no one's allowed to say that. (laughs) No, like when a journalist is like, you know, because he's even back down to like the the Twitter days of like, all my views are my own and you have to be clear about that. Yeah, you should be allowed. Emily Maitlis can call whoever she wants an idiot. I support it. She was like, he's just so stupid. He's an idiot and and dumb. And I was like, (laughs) love it. Something to that effect. And anyway, I just realized that that was a really important way of being like, yeah, journalism needs to have people like that so that's my favorite to, podcast this year I need to take a listen to that I kind of again the kind of podcast I like um today in focus that, oh I love I, I, that that's a good way of me consuming my news but it was not my favorite this year and um, my yeah. favorite which we've actually already touched on in this season is um normal gossip this year was the year I discovered normal gossip and I was late to the train. Um, but what I love about it is that it's such a unique format and it's one of those ideas where you're like, God, I wish I had that idea. <laughs> it's so good. It's executed so, so well. And it's a great example of how you can do podcasts so simply, but so effectively. Because yeah. like last year, I would have given a completely different answer. Like I really was way more into like really heavily um, narrative podcasts, loads of sound design, just like a thorough narrative. But this is just a really hilarious conversation about a banal piece of gossip. <laughs> and I'll, my favorite episode I've listened to so far that I'll recommend to you is called The Only Single Girl at Disney. It is oh. <laughs> so freaking funny. I'm not going to say anymore because it's the kind of thing you have to go into blind. And it's a story that I actually loved retelling. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm part of the gossip train. (laughs) Yeah, I get that feeling with that podcast. I also love it based off of your recommendation. And um, I quite enjoy like bringing debates to the table off the back of that. So yeah, Yeah. loved it. So we've got three more topics, pop culture moment, news story, personal highlight. Where are we going next? Right, let's do our um, best pop culture moment of the year. Okay, you can go first. Okay, so I mean, I think 2023 wasn't anyone else's year except for Mr. Pedro Pascal. (laughs) Basically, I basically started writing what my favorite meme was. And then I was like, oh my God, I love the meme of Pedro Pascal eating the sandwich from his (laughs) Snap Wars video. And then I was like, oh my God. But then he was also in that meme when he's in the car with Nick Cage from The Unbearable Way of Massive Talent. And it's playing, you gotta play your own kind of music. (laughs) I love that. And then I was like, oh my God. But then all of the fan cam edits which led to, uh, do you know what a fan cam is? No. It's a video that a fan would make of like a very sparkly montage of your favorite. Oh, okay. Boy or girl. Yes. Um, So obviously there's millions of those. And that led to when Pedro, (laughs) Pedro, like we're on first name terms. When he hosted SNL, there was a whole sketch about fan cam edits, which made everyone panic be like oh my god he's seen them oh my god I love that (laughs) but then it just has anyone ever just like taken the world by storm in such a short time like he did yeah honestly I think I had absolutely no idea who that man was and then you were like oh my god daddy of the moment and I was like wait who (laughs) and then I watched a little bit of um what was the show the last of us yeah and it it wasn't my kind of show to be honest uh but I'm not I, I think it I enjoyed parts of it, but then I was like, oh, wow, he is kind of (laughs) hot. He's so like, that's the thing. And he's like really hot in like a, just like an older man way. And, Mm. but then he's also like really adorable. I've watched so many interviews with him. I've like, and he's just like, seems to be the sweetest person. And to be honest, he, I think for me, Pedro was my favorite pop culture moment because I feel like it was really deserved. And I'm kind of sad that because of the strikes, he kind of disappeared from the zeitgeist. Well, he's not disappeared from the zeitgeist, but it kind of like stopped him as he's like yeah. catapulting. Um, but I'm sure he'll come back because obviously he's filming the new Gladiator film, which I'm very excited for. <laughs> new, se- <laughs> new season of The Last of Us. But also it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I think yeah. he seems really sweet and I'm really happy that 
his memes were like top tier as well. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I really liked that sandwich one. I didn't, I had no previous context of what that was. And yeah. I was just like, I love it. He's just there like nibbling a little triangle sandwich. He's like, just so cute. <laughs> he is. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that that might have been yours, to be honest, Abby. Yeah. Um, mine is slightly... Um, well, let's take you to the slopes of Utah with mine, hey? Oh, take me back. I, Play the true crime music. <laughs> do, 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 do. You're editing this, so <laughs> I, I hope you can hear it right now. <laughs> um, I would like to take you to the slopes of Utah where Gwyneth Paltrow dramatically crashed into a member of the <gasps> public and he sued her. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. I actually completely forgot about this. What a fucking moment in time that was. For a bit of context, Gwyneth Paltrow went skiing in Utah. She basically had a crash. It was just an accident there. And there's so many parts of this trial, but it, essentially what it boils down to is that there was a man seeking $300,000, which is £245,000, in damages against Gwyneth Paltrow because he claimed that he she did a hit and run crash on him um, claiming that he she skied directly into his back that left him unconscious and, and had suffered life-altering repercussions with a brain injury and four broken ribs. Oh, no. And um, Gwyneth Paltrow decided to countersue him for $1 because... Because she is that bitch. <laughs> she is that bitch. She walked out of there like a boss because she won the case. And in the UK, we're not allowed to have cameras in courtrooms. So that's why you will always see like drawings and sketches of people when it's a British trial. But in the US, you can have video cameras in there, which means that obviously TikTok goes off with whatever's yeah. happening in the world. And it's the reason why like the Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy trial didn't quite get the same level of visual coverage and I think to be honest there's a lot of um things like this that happen in the world that we don't see because they'll just like celebrities will settle out of court and to be honest that's generally speaking part of the reason why something like this will happen to a celebrity and a member of the public and they'll try and sue them because um whatever and they'll get a settlement out of court fee so that they yeah. make a bit of money from it and that was my understanding the whole time and I didn't know anything about this until I started seeing the videos and the reports and everything and there were so many moments in this trial which were just incredible for starters there was a part where Gwyneth Paltrow shielded her face with a with a notebook that was like $250 and that was hilarious in itself then she was wearing outfits that were obviously mm like her kind of style and I think at one point the lawyer representing the man who was yeah. suing her his name Sanderson. she was fangirling fangirling over Gwyneth and can you imagine how furious you would be apparently there was a part I, I actually can't I was trying to find it while you were speaking but let me just see if I can get it because there was a bit where I think she was like I like your shoes I remember her being like when because basically a part of the trial was that Gwyneth was trying to argue that he knew who she was who she was yeah that would support his case yeah and a part of that I just remember being like you're really tall, aren't you? You're so tall. Yeah. And it's like, I could never wear that. I'm so short. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah. So yeah, there was just, there was a lot of really interesting, conflicting things happening in that courtroom yeah. in that the comments that the lawyer of this, um, this guy was saying to Gwyneth and she was really kind of excited, I think, by the fact that Gwyneth was in there and she was having to kind of have this court case against her. Um, but it was also just things like, how friendly are you with Taylor Swift or something along those lines? And I think she basically yeah. had, um, Taylor Swift had done something very similar in that she was wanting to make sure that the, the court trial went ahead because I think they wanted to stand up in, in, in public and say, you don't get to just do this to celebrities because we're celebrities. We're not out here trying to crash into you on ski slopes. Mm. And I'm here as a point of showing everybody that you can't keep doing this and therefore I'll ask for $1. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really fair point. And it's an interesting point because Gwyneth's got the time to be able to sit there and listen to this man shit for however many weeks. Yeah. It was, if you don't, there's a lot of articles that talk about like the wildest moments of that trial. And if you don't know anything about it, I highly recommend it. It's so entertaining. And yeah, it was just a brilliant moment of 2023 for me. <laughs> and, and when she won, she left the room and said, I wish you well. Yeah. I think she meant it. <laughs> yeah, I think she did with her one dollar. She'll have been able to go to McDonald's, Thanks. buy a cheeseburger. <laughs> 
Okay, so on a more serious topic, the most significant news story of the year. Yes. For me, again, it's like, what the hell happened this year? Off the back of Queen Elizabeth's death, RIP, <laughs> we got a new king. We did. Charles. And it, do you know what's really weird? And I think, do you know what? I think it was you who said it to me that was like, a coronation is kind of weird because the reason you're there is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, because obviously his mum has died. Yeah. But the fact that like, there's been so many jokes for like literal decades about how Charles wants to be king. His portrayal in The Crown doesn't help with any of those allegations. Because no. it's constantly like, when will I be king, mummy? Let me do things. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it the, that whole time was so fascinating because one thing this country loves to do this country i would actually argue is not patriotic but then a few times maybe once a year all of a sudden all the flags are out where are all these flags come from i feel like <laughs> ev- and it, it kind of disturbs me how many people like just like paint their house with like the union jack <laughs> and i'm and it was a bit scary but aside from that people just went absolutely mental for this coronation and then we had three bank holidays in may oh my god which don't we- even which was kind of stressful. <laughs> it was it was great, I guess, but a bit stressful. I think, I think there were about four days worked on in the whole month of May from every single person in the UK. And it was so stressful. It was Trying to run in a business and getting everything pre-organized. Oh, God. I know, oh. I know. And then the coronation itself was a bit mid. Like, oh, my God. Take that was the closing act. And it's like, <laughs> what? Is that who you could get? When you put it like that, hey, there was also Lionel Richie. But it was just. But then, why did take that? It had clothes. <laughs> well, maybe it was the maybe it was the King's favorite band or something. Maybe. I don't know. But what I will say is, obviously, there was an incredible amount of backlash, cost of living, yeah, pomp and party, whatever. I don't know what they say. Um, I will just say it's it's very likely that we're going to see William coronation at some yeah. point as well so don't i think because the queen had such a long reign the uk went absolutely batshit for the coronation because it was like something that nobody had really experienced before mm. and it's such a rarity a point. It, which is like a complete like yeah i completely understand that but like don't get yourself all excited thinking that this is going to happen again because king charles is 75 years old and even if he does live to 100 i, I think i might actually see past him getting to 100 or I'd like to think I will yeah. and so there's going to be another king or whatever might happen in the future who knows but it's likely to be William and we're likely to see it again so let's not do what we just did for Charles all over again and I actually don't think that uh, William would want that kind of level anyway which is interesting oh. you say that because there was like definitely like a PR piece about how Charles wanted something a bit more low-key and then he went yeah. and did all of that yeah. So. Well, I think also like Kate and William won't like in another 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, however long he's going to live time. Um, it will be in a completely different culture and society. And, and I suppose it'll be up for debate then. But I don't think that we would see the same level. It'll probably start to get more diluted every every monarch that comes in. But maybe take that will still close. Anyway, what was your <laughs> significant news story Please of no. the year? My significant news story of the year was obviously... The implosion of the Titan submarine. Oh my God, you're sick. <laughs> Honestly, well, do you know what? So we decided to say the most impactful news story. And yeah. I'm not saying that this was my favorite news story at all. This was not like a personal preference at all, but it had the world completely hooked. It was on minute by minute, second by second accounts of what was happening because it was a race against time. There were like however many people, six oh. people stuck in a bean can underneath the sea completely lost it made me like really ill and I actually I actually think on reflection we the way it was handled was like this isn't an action film this is like people's real lives and didn't it like I think it did turn out that there was no running out of oxygen it just had imploded yeah and yet we were acting like there was going to be some like the rock was going to go down and like (laughs) save them or something (laughs) so exactly but that was it it felt I think the reason it gripped the world was was because 
Nobody understood what possibly could have happened. Not many people can relate to the why people spent $250,000 on a ticket to go and see the Titanic. Terrifying. Um, I think it was just so far removed from the majority of people's lives that mm. it was really hard for people to comprehend and therefore all they could attribute to it was that action film type playing out in real life. Mm. And it's incredibly sad. There was... A lot of backlash against Ocean Gate, who owned the submarine and, and ran the tour, about how they went about everything. And I think I, I'm not here to like throw shade over like how much people spend on their interests and discovery, because I think that's a really important thing that we don't bash here. Like it is extremely extreme to go to the bottom of the sea to see the Titanic, but like. I don't care what people spend on their interests and the hobbies. If they've got the money, they've got it. And it was a huge debate about who the hell is spending that. But the safety wasn't there. And that is appalling. Like it's absolutely so appalling. appalling. It was yeah. done for the money. It was completely taking advantage of, um, of people who had an, an incredible amount of interest over something that they enjoyed. And people lost their lives over it. And, and the way that the whole world just stopped to watch was phenomenal. And I'm not going to lie. I was like waking up in the morning being like, have they got it? Have they found them? Are mm. they there? And then all of the kind of, I really didn't like the TikTok kind of reporting on people remaking what the submarine would have, um, what would have happened to the submarine. But I do find that there was a level of peace that it was pretty quick after they went and submerged. It was, they wouldn't have even known it happened uh, but regardless, it's it's incredibly sad and it was a news story that gripped everybody, I think, for one reason or another. Absolutely. And I think we all should look ourselves hard in the mirror. Exactly. <laughs> Afterwards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, shall we move on to our highlight of the year, Abby? Our final moment. Our f- <laughs> final moment. <laughs> What's happening after that? <laughs> Uh, I'm probably just going to go and watch a film on the sofa with a glass of Prosecco, actually. Oh, love that. It's only midday. <laughs> Life of a business founder, I guess. Oh, no. What I meant was not not for the end of today, but when you'll be listening to this, it will yes. be that <laughs> betwixtmas. <laughs> I love that. Well, Charlie, what was your personal highlight of the year then to wrap up? So I thought about this long and hard and my personal highlight of the year was was going to Helena Bottom Carter's house. <laughs> Love And that. I met the woman in flesh. And there's a clip I want you to insert here, Abby, of me choking <laughs> on Helena Bonham Carter's water from her kitchen, poured kindly by her from her jug into her glass that I drank from. Uh, and I choked. In and, an attempt to kill you. <laughs> yeah. And... Her response, her response. So basically we were there to film, um, uh, to record a podcast for Tiny Acts of Bravery, which is a production that we make, uh, with Clover Stroud and Clover Stroud and Helena Bonham cards have an incredibly close relationship. And we were there for Clover was invited to record her interview with Helena Bonham Carter at her house. Obviously I'm staying completely, I'm completely anonymizing where she lives, but there was, and the interview, you can go and listen to it, but the there was a moment where I'd had a bit of a tickle in my throat and I don't know why I had it. It wasn't there before the, the interview started. I was it always sat- comes at the worst possible moment. The worst moment. And I was sat there listening through my headphones to the conversation. It was all going very well. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh no, I'm going to cough. I'm going to cough. And as a podcast producer, you basically just have to be as silent as possible unless you are involved in the format. I was not involved in this conversation. <laughs> uh, it was a very emotive conversation and I suddenly had to interrupt because I was going to cough and splutter my way through it. This is how it played out. I'm just going to cough. I'm so sorry. <coughs> Off with her head. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. She's got a psychological. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. <coughs> Get it out. <coughs> sorry. No, don't worry. <coughs> oh God! No, don't worry. Just cough. <coughs> Let's have a coughing party. Thank you. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I need some more coffee. You're all right, Charlie. Oh God! No, no, no you're not. <coughs> don't worry, darling. I was screaming, <laughs> laughing when I was editing that. I and I sent it to you immediately because. <laughs> 
Honestly, it was the most Helena Bonham Carter response to anything that could have ever possibly yeah. happened to me. And it was, it will some it will be something that lives in my brain. And I will tell this story to my grandchildren. Um, and it was it, it was fucking phenomenal. And so, so yeah, I went good. to her house. And her house is everything you would imagine it to be, and that's all I'm saying. So, Abby, what was your personal highlight of the year? Well, it'd probably be weird if I didn't say that I got married this year. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yeah, got married in September um, to my husband, Dan. We've been together about eight years or something. Um, Glad you know the exact amount of time. I think so. <laughs> well, I'm saying I think. <laughs> um, it, was an, it was an incredible day. Charlie, you were there. You had a nice time. I was, it was phenomenal. <laughs> it was hard to, it was really hard that I had to choose between your wedding as my personal highlight of the year or Helen Bonham Carter's house. I know, I can see in the script <laughs> that you put Abby's wedding as well. So that's very sweet. <laughs> um, yeah, we got married um, in Victoria Baths in Manchester, which is an old Victorian swimming pool that's been like refurbished. So yes, we literally got married in a swimming in pool. Inside of it, obviously no water. Obviously no water. Everyone's like, do you have to wear a wetsuit? Oh, <laughs> I so can't laugh funny. at that anymore. <laughs> so funny, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was incredible. Everything went exactly how it needed to all of our suppliers were so incredible um I did a post on my Instagram like listing all of them and I might reshare that when this yeah. comes out because they were truly amazing um I, I didn't share one which was the evening food which did work out um but on the lead up they're an absolute nightmare so they are not named on the post because Great. I don't care to support Help. them <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah we've had all like the pictures back and we've had the video back and it's just crazy now because then a lot of people are like, oh, how's married life? Is it different? And like, the only thing that's different is that I'm not planning a wedding anymore. Yeah, that's so true. That's so interesting. I'm unmarried, so I have no idea what that whole process <laughs> is like. But through you, it mm. sounded stressful as hell. It is stressful. Like there's so much that has to go into it. Um, but, you know, I was like, I had extensive spreadsheets. My um, bridesmaids and family were so incredibly supportive and did so much for me. It was very much like a DIY wedding. And that makes it 10 times more stressful. But the payoff is also like 10 times better because like we did all the decorations ourselves. And I felt like really happy when people were like taking pictures of like, the table setups because I I'd have done that all myself and it was Molly who we work with I think was the first person to post that on Instagram and I was like I'm so happy you posted this oh it was so, such a gorgeous day and obviously completely unique in terms of the, the venue as well so yeah it was a very special day and you had a very iconic outfit change oh my which god which I loved please do share was... a picture of that for everybody again I absolutely will and actually funny story I don't know if I've even told this to you but basically I knew I definitely wanted an evening dress or evening outfit like I, d I wanted to like do maybe like a sparkly jumpsuit like mm -hmm. a cute like mini dress but then I was like just waiting for like the right things to come along essentially and earlier this year we were working on a wedding podcast yes um, words on a wedding by Annie Vischer yeah. Um, which is great and have a go have a listen and basically one of her guests I think it was George Driver had the dress that I that I also then ended up getting. Love and basically that. I saw it and I was like, that's the dress I want. It was a daily sleeper dress, right? Yeah, it was a daily sleeper dress. And basically, yeah, it was white, um, like a satin kind of midi dress, but I'm quite short. So it was kind of to the ankles, but it showed off the shoes and it was great. And then it had a feather trim on the, um, what do you call this bit? The the bust. Neckline. Yeah, the bust, <laughs> the neckline. <laughs> yeah, that one. Feather trim on the neckline. So I just kind of kept an eye out for it because like it either wasn't in my size, it'd come up in a couple like um, secondhand places, but again, wasn't in my size. And then all of a sudden it came up on um, Farfetch, I think. And it was like a ridiculous discount because I think I ended up getting it. Love. At least half price. So And it was good. in my size, fit perfectly, no alterations needed. And I'm just like, when do I get to wear it again? Yes, you have to. I think that's mm. the tricky thing. I always feel like I actually really like wearing white clothes. And the only events I go yeah. to at the minute are weddings. And so a lot of my yeah. wardrobe is quite cream, white. <laughs> and I'm like, great, I can't fucking wear it to anything else. So you need to make sure that you like, oh my God, Glastonbury. 
you need to wear it to Glastonbury with wellies. What do you think? Yeah, because you'll be able to wash that so easily. The material's such good quality. Oh my God, that feels quite scary. Well, yeah, but when else are you going to wear it? Well, it's my 30th next year. Oh yeah, of course. True. Well, (laughs) I'll let you decide, but I would be defo wearing that to Glasto. Oh, show. (laughs) <laughs> love that well that's our year in in reflection then um sorry that you. it's so goddamn long but hopefully you enjoyed that please do send us a little love letter what is the email address abby it's hello at astroproductions.co.uk let us know your what are your faves of 2023 any books we should be reading any films we should be watching any memes we should be revisiting we'd love exactly. to hear from you And I would highly recommend if you have been intending to read the list, we will be doing a little special episode on that um, supplementary to the weekly content. So if you want to join along with our little book club, then I would recommend buying that now, having a read for the next few days where you might be off and then join us in a couple of weeks for that. So um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, This podcast has been produced by Astrid Productions, the podcast network that puts women first. The executive producers are Abby Gibson and Charlie Perry. Assistant producer is Sophie McQuillan. Editing by Abby Gibson and Sophie McQuillan. Video editing by Lauren Howie and production coordination by Molly Sainty. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! (laughs) 